We're just going to read the same verses, Jude, only one chapter, but we're going to read from verse 11, please. Jude, verse 11. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. These are spots in your feasts of charity. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, Wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Keep your Bible open there. We'll be referring to the chapter. Let's pray. Father, again this evening we ask you, Lord, to shut each and every one of us in with yourself. Your spirit would move from seat to seat and heart to heart. God, that you'd speak to every single person in whatever way Lord, you deem it fit to speak. It may be for encouragement. It may be for conviction. It may be to compel them. Lord, it may be to chastise them. And Lord, we pray in your name that you would speak to every heart, Lord, even as I've searched my own heart these weeks. We pray, O God, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And Lord, that you'd help us this evening. Glorify your Son. Glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And, O God, as we wait in your presence and your anointing to come, to mantle upon your people, we ask you, Father, Lord, that you would settle our hearts, settle our minds, Lord, and bind every opposing thought or distracting spirit under the name and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. For his name is above every other name. So we give you glory tonight, O God, and it's in your name we ask it. Amen. Amen. Three infamous men. This is part three. Part one was the way of Cain. Part two was the error of Balaam. And part three was the gainsaying of Korah. All found in verse 11. Let's read it. Woe unto them, For they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. Snapshots of the last two weeks, folks. First of all, the way of Cain. Cain was a tiller of the ground, a farmer, a man who worked with his hands and hence he thought with his own work, labor and his hands, that he could appease and please Almighty God to make atonement for his own sin. His sacrifice of the fruit of the ground was rejected by the Lord. And yet, Abel, he took a lamb and the blood of the lamb was enough. So part one, we looked at the way of Cain, how there are those who labor, as it were, for salvation, labor in religion, And there are those who have the wickedness of heart, 
like Cain, who would slay their brother because they see them going on with God. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 12, it says, Cain, who was off that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil. Notice what the Spirit lays on John to say of the works of his hands, because his own works were evil. And then it says, and his brothers were righteous. And hence Cain is the man who brings the labor of his hands, the sweat of his brow, and according to man's economy, that would be better than just bringing a little lamb. But it wasn't in faith. Abel came in faith. And also came with the firstling of the flock, came with the fat of the lamb, also the highest order to offer the Lord. And Cain came and just gathered some vegetables or whatever it was, the fruit of the ground, and says, here you are, Lord. And so Cain was rejected, and Abel was accepted. Secondly, Balaam, verse 11 of our reading says, and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward. Balaam was a prophet for profit. Balaam was hired by Balak, the king of Moab, to curse Israel. And hence, throughout the book of Numbers, from 20, chapter 22 to chapter 25, we read of seven times of this man trying to curse God's people. And he couldn't curse them because there was sacrifice made every time and they were seen through the blood. Hence, the curse could not reach them, nor the curse could do nothing to them. Balaam was paid for his service to do wrong. Balaam was paid for his service to do wrong. A prophet, P-R-O-H-E-T, for prophet, P-R-O-F-I-T. Balaam couldn't curse Israel, but the only way he could cause them to fall in the eyes of God, he could tempt them. He could tempt them. And hence we read, in Exodus chapter 29, pardon me, in Numbers chapter 25, and in verse 1. And Israel abode in Sittim, and all the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. Verse 2 says, And they called the people unto the sacrifices to their gods, and the people did eat and bow down to their gods. And that's always the way it goes. That God's people will always fall when they're in worldly company if they stay with worldly company. The ungodly will pull you down rather than you pull them up. That's why we are warned to be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Here these people were having relationships with one another, Moab and Israel. There was a spiritual and a physical adultery before Jehovah God. If you'll just flick over from Jude to Revelation, the next book over. Chapter 2 and verse 14. The Lord Jesus, again we read this and we went into this more last week, writes to the church at Pergamos through the pen of John and he says, but I have a few things against thee because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam 
who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel. That stumbling block is that which we have read in Numbers 25, verses 1 and 2. Notice, to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit fornication. And I told you last week, the word fornication is the word pornuo, where we get the word pornographic from or pornography from. And here, what they were doing, committing spiritual adultery before God in Numbers 25, and also physical adultery before God, lying with one another, worshiping other gods. When Israel were married to God, and Israel were God's wife in the Old Testament Scripture. And what they were doing, God was looking at it as though it was pornography. As though it was pornography. And we get the import of that even today, of what it looks like in God's eyes whenever those who say they are God's people are living in a different way. Living in a different manner. And so we can see that with our own eyes today. So thirdly, and tonight, we will look at Korah, the gainsaying of Korah. If you'll go to Jude, verse 11, and perished, and perished, notice that word, they perished in the gainsaying of Korah. Now, Korah was from the Israelite tribe of Levi. Moses and Aaron were from the Israelite tribe of Levi. And Korah was from the Israelite priestly tribe. So what happened was throughout the years, so many would be picked to go and service in the temple, to serve the Lord around the temple, around the outskirts of the, the naos, the place where God's presence came, the Holy of Holies. They were ministering around the temple. But only one family and one alone in perpetuity in Israel were the high priestly family. For example, if you'll look at Exodus 29, please, and verse 9. I'll let you get it while I get a drink. Exodus 29. And thou shalt gird them with girdles. Aaron and his sons, take note, and put bonnets on them. And the priest's office shall be theirs for a perpetual statute. Notice, it's Aaron's and his families for a perpetual statute. And thou shalt consecrate Aaron and his sons. So in other words, they were chosen and set apart. They were off the tribe of Levi also, but God with an election and an election elected the house of Aaron to be the high priest for perpetually, or perpetually, pardon me. And although Korah was a Levite, his family in the tribe of Levi was not of the house of Aaron. So it brought a lot of trouble to the door of Moses and also to Aaron. For example, in Hebrews 5 and verse 4, it's speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, but the writer is speaking to us and showing us how the, the, the priesthood left Aaron and his sons and the temple would be destroyed and the Melchizedek priesthood whom Abraham met and gave tithes to this man. This man without beginning or ending, mother and father, as it says, here is the, this picture of a type of Christ 
Here now the Melchizedek priesthood is the priesthood of our Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. There's only one priest that you and I are to confess our sins to. There's only one. The Bible tells us there's only one, the Lord Jesus Christ, our great high priest. But notice what it says in Hebrews 5 and verse 4. It says, but no man taketh this honor. This is of the high priestly ministry. But no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God as was Aaron. So you can see that the household of Aaron was the chosen household for the high priestly ministry in Israel. And again, not to labor much more on this point, and again, in Psalm 135, Psalm 135, verses 19 and 20. Notice how the Lord separates through the pen of the psalmist. Bless the Lord, O house of Israel. That's the nation. Bless the Lord, O house of Aaron. That's the high priestly ministry. And then bless the Lord, O house of Levi. That is the priestly tribe from whence they come. And in verse 20, ye that fear the Lord, bless the Lord. Now, in Jude verse 11, Jude verse 11 speaks of a particular happening and it likens it to those who were present in the church of the days of Jude and a warning for us in the year 2022. Such men have crept in, Jude said. Such men as Cain, such men as Balaam, and such men as Korah. Jude admonishes us to be aware, and he encourages us to keep an eye out for such things. In verse 12, look what it says. These, these types of people, these types of men, these are spots in your feasts of charity. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Do you see the term spots? S-P-O-T-S. Notice, spots in your feasts of charity when they feast with you. Notice, when they feast, men like Cain and Balaam and Korah, when they feast with you, the word charity is love, your feast of love. You're together around the Lord's table in love. You come together to break bread. It's about love. It's about Christ loving us and us loving Christ and loving one another around the table of Christ. And he says, even there, there are Cain's and Balaam's and men like Korah. See the word spots? It's a word, spillas. Spillas. And the, the commentators have found it a bit hard to try and decipher exactly what this word really means. What is the English rendering of this word spilas? Well, they found that in an ancient Greek writing, in fact, it was in Homer's Odyssey, it says these words, the waves dashed the ship against the rocks. And for the waves dashing the ship against the rocks, the picture of it here is the word spiladio from spilas. And hence it says that there are men, there are people like that, women like that, who come in and they're like rocks under the surface of the water when the ship is going along and it hits the rocks. 
and tears the hull out of the ship and starts to sink the ship. And he says, when they feast with you, let me tell you what they're like. So this is telling me that there are people who come to church and they're not saved. They're without the Spirit, Jude tells us. There's men and women and they come and sit in church and they think church is enough and they are are not Christ's and they're not saved. Notice here, if you will, we want to look at what exactly has happened. These men have come in and it says they crept in unawares. Looked apart. You may be like, I like to wear a suit or a shirt and tie anyway and a jacket and trousers. I, this is how I like the dress. I'm not talking about your dress, but I'm talking about me. And they could look like me. They could look like others. Well-dressed. You know, they've been, they've had the old aftershave on. They even smell not too bad as well. But within, they may sit there and they may be ready to sink the ship. They may be ready to sink the ship. What they do, there are rocks who come under and they get under the skin of people. They get into the the, the psyche, as it were. I talked about that this morning, what that means. Into the psyche of men and women. Tell you, listen, this isn't right. Or they tell you, you don't need this. Church is enough. And it's rocks under the water. I'll meet you for a cup of tea and we'll have a chat and they rip your brothers and sisters apart. Turn holes in the hull of the ship, rocks hidden under the water, pulling the hull out of the ship, rocks hidden under the water. The spilas, they're called. And Jude says, they are spots in your feast of love. In other words, they are rocks under the water when you're gathering together in love. Oh, there's nothing as bad as loving someone and them killing you behind your back. It's nothing as bad as loving someone and helping them, and and you find out that they haven't been so loving to you. You might say, has it happened to you? And I'll say, all the time. All the time. But I'll tell you, brother, and I'll tell you, sister, this is how you get past it, that the ship doesn't sink, that the ship of your life doesn't sink, that the ship of your ministry doesn't sink, that the ship of your fellowship doesn't sink. This is how you get by it. You do everything, loving them and whoever else, serving wherever the Lord has opened the door. You do it as unto the Lord because men will fail you and let you down, even this man. Take note in this, brothers and sisters, because this is important here. Jude admonishes and Jude encourages us to beware, to beware. Verse 2 of his letter, let's look at it. Jude and verse 2. Mercy unto you and peace be multiplied. Beloved, when I give all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it is needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith. Notice that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. 
Do you know what Judah's saying to us here? That this, the faith that was given in the apostolic church, the faith that was given from uh, our Lord Jesus Christ to the early apostles, Jude was saying there's men like Cain and there was men like Balaam and there's men like Korah would come into the church and, and what they would do is they would try to sink it and you have to. He says, I, with all diligence, have the right to admonish you. I have to try and tell you. In fact, the epistle of Jude is known by many as the, the fiery letter to rouse the church. To rouse the church, to get the church to rear up, as it were, on its hind legs like a, a horse. And this was written, he says, earnestly, earnestly contend for the faith for these young believers here. This young church, like every other assembly since it, must watch because if we don't watch, if we're not ready, if we're not on our guard, if we're not discerning of spirits, if we're not, then there are rocks underneath that want to sink the ship. And they'll bring in all sorts of thoughts and ideas and ways. Not so long ago, there was a certain couple of people trying to bring in a certain teaching to our church that was, well, it was something that we wouldn't have had anyway. And I didn't know until it was like under the water, the rocks, and the ship had already hit the rocks. I found out about it. I went and see that teaching, get it out. That teaching's not coming here. Telling me that a Christian can be full of demons and needs delivered. A believer. That if you're under the blood, you can still be under a generational curse. A believer. I says, take that out. Take it out. You know why? Because I believe in the power of the blood. In the power of the blood. And others had to go with them. Do you know why? Because they had already put their claws in to pull them away. The rocks under the water. Rocks under the water to sink the ship. It can happen in your home. It can happen in your life. It can happen in your workplace with you. Your faith. And so we are told to earnestly contend for the faith, not any faith on every faith, to gather together. Sure, it's all faith, and it sounds good, doesn't it? And it sounds plausible. Not any faith and every faith and all faith. The faith. The faith, which was once delivered unto the saints, faith in Christ alone. Notice here, Judas saying, you need to remember that there's only one faith. The faith which was delivered unto the saints. By the way, this uh, once delivered unto the saints means once and for all. In other words, see when we had the faith, when the early church had got to give us the faith and wrote it down in the Bible. See when we read this and God endued us with the ability to have faith, to cry on the Son of God, to cry and believe in his precious blood that he shed. Then he says, that is the faith that stands forever doesn't change. And now it's Jesus plus 
Even Jesus plus Muhammad is coming in. Yes, Jesus plus Jesus plus Krishna. We can all gather together. Jesus plus the Pope. Jesus plus whatever. It's not Jesus plus, it's just Jesus. It's Christ and Christ alone. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. This is the faith once delivered unto the saints. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Sola Scriptura means according to the word of God alone. Giving glory to God alone. And hence when we look at this, Jude is telling us, listen church, it's time to get up as it were on the hind legs and take your stand because he says there are people who will come in to sink the ship. The spilas, the rocks under the water of the boat. For example, in Hebrews 9 and 28, it says of our Lord Jesus Christ, Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. Notice, he was once offered, not twice offered, and he will never be offered again. It means he was offered once, and it will never happen. It stands forever. Like when Christ died on the cross for us, that's it. It doesn't change. And again, in Hebrews 10 and verse 10, it says, by the which we were sanctified through the offering, notice, of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That means once and forever. Once and never to be repeated again, never happen again. That we, brothers and sisters who are saved, and that we know that the body of Jesus, the blood of Christ was shed once and for all. What is the cleansing of the blood in the year of the very first year of the early church? The blood of Christ. What is the cleansing of the church in the first century? The blood of Christ. What was the cleansing for the church in the second century? The blood of Jesus Christ. What is the cleansing of the third and the fourth and the fifth? What is the cleansing right up to the year 2022? The blood of Christ. It's the blood of Christ and nothing else. Only the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it stands once and forever and will never be repeated again. So we're told earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered. It's in the same context. It was once delivered unto the saints. By the way, the words earnestly contend, it's a word, apagonizomai. Don't ask me to say that one again. And it means, and it gives the idea so I'm going to have to say it again now that I'm to explain this. <laughs> so hold on there, try and get it now. Apagonizomai. And if you notice in the middle of the sounding, apagonizomai. It's where we get our word agonies from. It means if you earnestly contend for the faith, if you earnestly contend for the faith that you know that is of Christ, Faith in Christ and faith from God in Christ. And if you and I were to earnestly contend for the faith, the word agony is there for a minute. What Judah's saying, listen, it won't be easy. Life might get hard. Things might get difficult. You will be tested. You will be tried. And this is what he's saying. He says, but agonize sometimes. Being a Christian sometimes, you have to agonize over it. You have to agonize through the problems and agonize through the troubles and, and agonize through all of those things that come against you. And it's agony sometimes. And here he's saying, earnestly contend, 
agonize for the faith once delivered unto the saints. Sure, brothers and sisters, as we look to the left hand and the right, there are people who are capitulating to all manner of sin and evil. There are people who are capitulating, believers capitulating to all manner of of totalitarianism and non-biblical, non-scriptural ideologies of man today because it's, it's politically correct to go this way and it's politically correct to do these things now and it's politically correct to keep everyone together and, and to make sure we don't cause any trouble. It's politically correct not to rock the boat. But this word of God here is true. Thy word is truth, John 17 and verse 17. And then this word, this word and this word alone, it tells us, it tells you and it tells me we are not to be politically correct according to society or government or anyone else. We're to be biblically correct. Biblically correct. And to earnestly contend for the faith is once delivered unto the saints. To agonize, that means to struggle. That means keep fighting. Brother, sister, look, maybe you're getting it tight. Maybe at work. The amount of people who talk to me of that, that recently, especially about work, because of the way things are coming in, because of the way society has changed, because of the way uh, the things that are right are wrong, and the wrong is right, and the good is evil, and the evil is good, and, and hence people are having to deal with different people, and when it comes against their faith, they're, uh, they're then saying, I can't do this because I am a believer, and, and, and their jobs are threatened, or they feel that they're going to get into more trouble. Brothers and sisters, listen, earnestly contend no matter the cost no matter the cost earnestly contend agonize over it struggle in it then struggle but struggle through it struggle through it and I can tell you the Lord says them that honor me I will what does he say them that honor me I will I will honor Don't give up, brother, and don't give up, sister. Stand your ground as Judah's given us this letter to rouse the church. Look at verse 4, please. For there are certain men crept in unawares. Notice, there are certain men who crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Now, that's a study in itself, isn't it? Before of old ordained to this condemnation. Notice this. Ungodly. Notice, ungodly men turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the Holy Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. For certain men crept in unawares. The certain men who are ungodly. See the word, English word ungodly? Jude uses it six times in this epistle. It's only a short epistle, but he uses it six times. And he uses, and it inter, it switches sometimes, but they're very close anyhow. And, you, uh, and without getting into it, he uses the word asibus and asibia. And they're the same. Ungodly is a good word for both of them. So there's nothing wrong for using ungodly with it. For example, Verse 4, we have ungodly men. In verse 15, we have ungodly people. 
with ungodly deeds. And it says, who have ungodly committed. And then, of course, in verse 15, we have ungodly speeches. They're hard speeches. And then in verse 18, the last one is ungodly lusts. Now, this word here, ungodly, or asibus, or asibia, this is the, the rendering of it. It gives the idea of being destitute of reverential awe towards God. Do you know what's wrong with many in the church today? We've lost our awe, our reverential awe before the Lord. We have lost the reverential awe before the Lord. It actually also covers for one who is irreverent, one who is impious, or even right down to those who are wicked, the ungodly. The ungodly lusts of verse 18, if you want to look at it. How that they told you that there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their ungodly lusts. Can I ask you a question you can answer a yes or a no to yourself? Do you see that today? Those with their ungodly lusts and ungodly men and women. And these days when you look and, uh, and you talk or you witness on, in work or all you hear is of ungodliness. And they mock the Lord. They mock you for loving the Lord. And hence that's why we're told to earnestly contend for the faith. Sometimes we think we get it hard because we've been challenged by our friends and work and nobody wants to speak to us in the street because we're a Christian. Listen, see, two haircuts ago. Okay. I remember my So two haircuts ago, I was walking through the Belfast with Alison and the girls and I was walking by this wee barbers and I take these things, I just, I'm going to us now. And my hair was all over the place. It was like a big mop. And there's a barber's, and I had to look in, and in the barber's, he had boxing memorabilia. Sean, you'd like it there. It's good there. Only thing was, the guy was brilliant. We started talking, started talking about boxing, started talking about some of the clubs in you, some of the people in you in the clubs from when, way back. And things were great. And he says to me, are you off today? I says, no, not really. I'm just spending a few hours with my wife and have other things to do later on. And he's cutting away at my hair and he's having a good talk. And he says, and what do you do? I says, I pastor a church and my haircut was finished in 30 seconds. <laughs> and that's no joke. And I'll be honest, it was the worst haircut I had because it was half cut. I mean, the hair was. <laughs> Not me, the hair was. I, I wasn't half cut, the hair was half cut. I have to watch myself here, you know. Next thing I'll be on one of those, you know, you know that group protestia, you know, pastor says he was half cut getting his hair done, you know. And it was a terrible cut. But you know, when people come and they are like this with you, brother and sister and friends, understand that we think it's bad at this point. And we think it's terrible sometimes the things that's maybe been said to us. But in the days of the early church, they were dying at the hands of Rome the hands of the Jews first then under Rome. They were dying in the Colosseums. They were being tarred and put to a, a great big post, a big stake and tied to it and set on fire 
to light up the ways for the Caesars. Living. They were alive when they set them on fire. Their children were put inside animals which they pulled the guts out of these dead animals, sewed up the children in the, uh, inside the animal, let out the, loose the lions. And all, the, cho- all the, 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 the adults, the parents had to say was then, I renounce Christ uh, and take of the sands to throw it at the altar of Caesar and claim Caesar as God. And their children would be spared. And these people, they watched and heard the screams of their little ones in the bellies of the animals while the lions went ravenous to get through the carcass of the lions and they held on to their faith and they died shortly afterwards following their children's death. And I'm going to worry about a haircut. In perspective, you can see why Jude has read, written this. You think of those of the Smithfields that are burning at the stake. Some of them, all they had to do was to recant the fires of Smithfield burning. I think of, of the martyrs who died for the witness of Christ, for the testimony of Christ. And we could go on and on to this very day. Judah's saying, contend, earnestly contend. Find it hard sometimes to leave the sofa of our slumber on a Sunday afternoon after dinner to come out to a church on a Sunday night. Find it difficult to find time for the Lord and Hence, you can see why this letter here is written to the people at the time. And hence, the word of God is forever settled in heaven, comes straight to you and I this evening to tell us, listen, it's time. Take your stand. It's time to stand up and be counted to earnestly contend for the faith which is once delivered unto the saints because there are these men still today out there and some would come in here or wherever. The word ungodly lusts. It means their own ungodly lust. Listen to what it means. They had a desire for that which was forbidden. They had a desire for that which was forbidden. And in the depraved hearts of the ungodly, of the unsaved, they have a desire for that which is forbidden by the word of God. They have a desire for unnatural, unbiblical, unscriptural sexual immorality before God. They have a desire for it so much that they live it up and now they show it in your face. And and if we say that it's ungodly, if we say that it's wrong, then we are the ones who are out of step with society and even brought to stand before judges. (laughs) 
have to decide, brothers and sisters, who do we love the most? What do we love the most? Do we love ourselves more than Christ? Do we love Christ more than the world? Because you can be well aware after this evening that there are rocks under the water going to sink your ship. We try to sink this ship. And hence many churches, if you want, many assemblies, and not all but many, have turned into cruise liners. Take it easy and do not churn up too much of the muddy water. And God's calling us, as it were, to be a battleship. Jude, in verse 11, it says, that these perished in the gain saying of Korah. I better move on quickly here. The event Jude is referring to is in Numbers chapter 16. Just if you want, we can't read the chapter for time's sake, but you can read it when you go home. Numbers chapter 16, please. I'll get another drink while you're looking it up. Numbers 16. And let's read just the first couple or so verses. Now Korath, <clears throat> the son of Ezhar, the son of Koath, pardon me, Korah, the son of Ezhar, the son of Koath, the son of Levi, See, Levi, so here is the tribe of Levi comes from this patriarch, this family name. Notice now, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, the sons of Reuben. That's another tribe, the Reubenites, the tribe of Reuben. Took men, notice they took men, and they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel 250 princes of the assembly, famous in their congregation, men of renown, and they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said, and said unto them, Take ye, ye take too much upon you, saying, All the congregation are holy. Every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore, then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. And Moses, when Moses heard it, he fell on his face. And he spake unto Korah and said unto all his company, saying, Even tomorrow the Lord will show you who are his and who is holy, and will cause him to come near unto him. Even him whom he hath chosen will he cause to come near unto him. This do, take ye censers, Korah, and all his company, and put fire therein, and put incense in them before the Lord, the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord doth choose, he shall be holy. Ye take too much upon you, ye sons of Levi. I take note of this. We have the tribe of Levi with Korah, and also we have with Dathan, Abiram, and On. Although we don't really hear much more of On, but with especially Dathan and Abiram, they are of the tribe of Reuben and, and their tribes and their families lay almost geographically next to each other. So outside the camp, they start to talk to one another. 
And they start to make up plans and Korah was the main man because he was the Levitical line who could get in closer. He could sneak in where no one else could sneak and he could be where no one else could be. And so Korah comes along and he brings along 250 men from Reuben and from his own tribe of Levi. And they get up early in the morning. See, it shows you the old enemy's up early in the morning. You better get up early. You better be awake soon. They come along and they say, oh, you've taken too much on yourself. Let me help you. Isn't he such a good fellow? Isn't he such a lovely man? Such gracious people. Let me come and help you. We can take over this. And when they seen they were getting nowhere, they said, you are lifting yourselves above us. And they started to deny godly appointed leadership in Israel. And that was the rebellion of Korah. In fact, the, the word Jude uses gainsaying of Korah means rebellion or contention of Korah. And those who'd done this, it says they perished. I don't know about you. I don't know about you, but I'm always careful of what I say about men and women that God is using for his glory. I'm always careful of it. My late pastor, I loved him, and I mean that I loved him. I miss him. But I loved him, and me and him didn't always get on, by the way. There were things that... I didn't agree with. And we talked about it, but we didn't always get on. But my late pastor, I could have done things which would have done him harm, tried to be a rock to sink the ship. But I wouldn't do it. You know why? I was afraid of my late pastor. No, I was afraid of the Lord. I was afraid of the Lord. And because I loved him. I'm just giving you an example like this. Take note, brothers and sisters, these men creep in unawares, it says, to do such things. Korah, Dathan, Abiram from Reuben, they all come. Here's what I've written. In Moses, we have civil authority. In Aaron, we have religious authority. Civil speaks of kingship, and religious speaks of priestly authority. And here is a picture of the king, priest, our Lord Jesus Christ. Here is a type of him. And how are those who really do detest the Lord Jesus Christ, and they hate him. And so I've written this. Notice the spirit of these people. (coughs) Excuse me. Whether the said rebels thought they could do a better job or not, or even though they possibly meant the best, or even though they thought their administration could work better for the people, it was not God's way 
they came. But man's will. Either way, it was the wrong way. And maybe all didn't fully understand it. But every rebel took part in it. Maybe every man that came didn't fully understand what was happening. But they all took part in it. Moses says, see tomorrow, bring your censers. They were like bedpans. You know those, the, heat, the ones that heat the pan, the, heat the bed. They had those. And some of the houses had them because they would have used them in some sort of uh, feast days themselves. And hence they come with their, their pans or censers and they put fire on it. Notice, they put their own fire on it. They put their fire. And they had the audacity to bring their fire before God who calls fire down from heaven. Notice this. In Genesis 49, verses 3 and 4, this is what it says about Reuben. And this was the blessing of Jacob Israel to his sons. Genesis 49, verse 3 and 4. Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity, and the excellency of power. Notice, unstable as water. (laughs) This is who you are, Reuben, but you're unstable as water. This is these people coming from this tribe, unstable as water. Thou shalt not excel, because thou wentest up to thy father's bed. Then defilest thou it. He went up to my couch. And then it says in verse 5, Simeon and Levi are brethren. So do you know who Levi's big brother was? Reuben. Reuben. And hence the children of the tribes, Levi called his big brother. Now maybe you were a younger brother and you were able to say, I got my big brother for you. I was the big brother. And now I'd say, I'll get my wee brother for you. Listen, brothers and sisters, here's what a point I'm making. Reuben lost the birthright place. Reuben lost it because he went up to his father's bed. In other words, he done wrong. He lost the firstborn's birthright, and now he smells some sort of victory to be had for himself. Levi, his younger brother's relatives, or his progenitor, says, come with us and we'll overthrow these. And he goes down. They go down with him. It says here that Reuben, thou art my firstborn. And yet in verse 4, unstable as water, thou shalt not excel. Notice, thou shalt not excel. Do you know, as far as I'm aware now, and I've looked it up and I couldn't find any others saying it. In the tribe of Reuben, there was no judge raised up from the tribe of Reuben. In the tribe of Reuben, there was no prophet come out of the tribe, ever. And there wasn't a king come out of the tribe. Obviously, that was from Judah. But nevertheless, there was none came out from these tribes. In fact, in 1 Chronicles 6, verses 2 and 3, along with Numbers 16 and 1, it says, Moses and Korah were cousins. 
They were cousins. Oh boy, there's nobody can hurt you like your loved ones, isn't there? You know, whenever you get all your close family members and so, see, they know how to push your buttons, don't they? They know what to say to you to really make you hurt. As whether it's in family or whether it's in church or your church family, you see, we hurt so much in family and church family and we hurt so easily. You know why? Because it's not meant to happen. It's not meant to happen to those who you love and they love. But these things happen. They happen. And here is his cousin coming to Moses and Aaron looking to get rid of them. And so Moses and Aaron did not defend themselves in the chapter, but they prayed. And we're told in Numbers 16, verses 31 to 33, quickly. Verses 31 to 33. And it came to pass, as he had made an end of speaking all these words, that the ground clave asunder that was under them, and the earth opened up her mouth and swallowed them up, and their houses and all the men that, that appertaineth to, unto Korah and all their goods, they and all that appertaineth to them went down alive into the pit and the earth closed upon them and they perished from among the congregation. Listen, people try and say about this, ah, it was just an earthquake happened to happen. An earthquake just happened to happen. Well, this earthquake opened up, swallowed them up and then it closed up. If this was an earthquake, it closed back over again. No, this was the Lord dealing with these people. Here's what it tells me, and I trust it tells you. It tells me, and it should tell you. Listen, the Lord says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. What does it say? I will Not so long ago, it happens all the time anyway, but not so long ago on uh, online, on social media, I was slandered from one end of the country to the other by a certain person and group. And I just heard last week, there's actually another group started up to slander me. And people have come to me and they've said to me, what do you do in these situations? Go on and get back at them. You know, you could go on and tell them and take them apart. And I go, no, I never have. I never have. You know why? Because I've got a big brother. Reuben might be their big brother, but I've got a big brother. He's called the Lord Jesus Christ. He's my big brother. And when he takes it into dating, and he deals with it. And brothers and sisters, leave it with the Lord. Do you hear me? Leave it with the Lord. I have too much material. I'll, I'll round this up somehow. Okay, verse 19 of Jude. So these are the people that Jude has warned about. Like this. And they gain say, pardon me, they perished in the gain saying of Korah. Let your eye run down, if you will, to Jude verse 19. And he goes through all of these, what they are on godliness, and he says, 
These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. Now, the word Spirit is a capital S, meaning the Holy Spirit. So this is the last point, and I need you to prick up your ears because this could get a bit technical. I'll try not to get too technical. Would you say sensual? Okay, so with the the tripart being spirit, soul, and body, that's you and I, spirit, soul, and body. There are three ways to look at the tripart being. There's what's known as the sarkikos, the sarkikos. And then you have the sukikos. And then you have the pneumatikos, okay? Sarkikos comes from the word sark for flesh or natural person. And it always pulls you down. It's downward. It's fleshy. It's earthy. And then what we have is that which pulls you up. And it's the suke, but with the Holy Spirit, if you have the Spirit of God, lifts the man up. It's a pneumaticos, it's called. It's where we get the word pneumatic drill from. Those big drills on the road, and you have the big head defenders on, uh, ear defenders, boom, 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 boom. Pump by air, it's where we get it from. The breath and the wind of the Spirit, with your Spirit, looks upward. Looks upward. But the term here for sensual is the word sukikos. And it speaks of the soul, the, the, the real you. The real you who Christ came to save. Of the man and the woman who without Christ will be in a lake of fire. That Revelation chapter 20 tells us where there's going to be a, a place of burning, of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And the real you will experience it without reprieve of it if you're not saved and in Christ. And here, Jude uses the word sukikos, and it speaks of the soul, its desires, its affections, and the seat of the feelings of the person. Alfred's Greek says of the word suke, which is the root for sukikos, listen to this, it is the center of the personal being. The I of each individual. The I, it's me. It's you. The sarkikos or the, the flesh is the, per, is the person who gives themselves to the flesh. The person who employs themselves, their spirit to loving the things. The flesh pulls them down the way. That's the people we're seeing. The pneumaticos is God's spirit with ours, born again spirit lifting up. To understand, to look up to God, to have communion and fellowship with God. That our soul is united and one with God. In love with Christ, trusting in Christ, born again of the spirit. And the word sukikos is he or she who rests midway. He or she who thinks of self and self-interest, they are sensual in nature with its subjection to their own appetites and passions. And that's the world we're seeing today. It's about being God of your own life, taking charge of your own life. It's about 
my body, my choice. It's about my will and not God's will. It's about my loves, my life, my lusts. It's about me, myself, and I. It's about my pleasures and the hedonism of it. It's about lust of me. Oh, I love the flesh. I love the world. It pulls you down this way. But when you're born again of the Spirit, when you're born again of the Spirit, God, the Holy Ghost in your spirit, lifts you up the way. And you look and wait for Christ who's coming again from heaven. But Jude says there are these people that look inward. It's about me. And they want to change the church about, they want it to be man-centric. Want the songs to be about man-centered songs. They want it to be about my best life now and the blessing of me now and what I can get now and, and the riches I can have now and sow a seed and receive much now. That's the, that's the world, and that's who's coming to the, the church. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> so, my voice is gone. <coughs> So, brothers and sisters, we are told to earnestly contend for the faith. To earnestly contend, to stand up, to stand out. Listen, brothers and sisters, the church has become effeminate. The church has become like a toothless lion, a spiritless gospel and a a Christless word. And a bloodless one at that. But Judah's telling us, earnestly contend. Let's read this and that's us finished. Verse 20. It says, But ye, beloved, <clears throat> but ye, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. That's the sort of man and woman we are. But ye beloved, it's meant, it's meant to say, but as for you. See all of you on this side, but as for you. You can say, but as for me. And all of you, and all of you, and all here, it's like, but as for you, beloved, is divinely loved ones. It's not because Jude loves them. He's saying, I love you. It's the idea is you're loved of the Father. You're loved of God. No matter what happens, you're loved. Build yourselves up in, the mo- in your most holy faith. God bless you tonight. <clears throat>